My first questions to the hiring managers are, what are your must-haves? Like, what is something that this person needs to have coming in the door first day? So those are the first skills that I filter for. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Hiring Behind the Scenes. I'm your host, Dave Fano, founder and CEO at Teal. And this week, we are with Ediana Rosen. She's currently at Google, where she's an employee relations manager. And before that, she was a technical recruiter. She's worked at incredible companies like Univision and other startups. So she's very familiar with the hiring process. She also puts out a ton of great content to help job seekers. In this episode, we talk about the interview process and how to prepare, why researching companies is critical and goes a long way in your preparation. We do a fairly deep dive on LinkedIn Recruiter and how she uses the tool, the keywords, what parts of the interface she uses to optimize her searching and for sourcing and finding candidates, which in turn relates to how you should optimize your LinkedIn profile so you show up. We then talk about resumes and how to present your information on your resume and how recruiters look at resumes and how they prioritize their energy and what they look for. It's a really great episode filled with tons of good tips and advice. I hope you enjoy it. Please hit the like, please follow us and let us know if there's other things you'd like to see in future episodes. Thanks so much. Hey everyone, we're here with Eliana Rosen and we are gonna talk about hiring behind the scenes, but I don't like to introduce people. I prefer they introduce themselves. So Eliana, you wanna tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, thank you, Dave. Well, hello, everybody. My name is Eliana Rosen. I am a recruiter and human resource professional for over eight years now, if you can believe that. I have been recruiting for many, many different industries. I have changed industries over six times now. And the latest that I've been in is in the technical industry, recruiting for senior software engineers. I also create content, just giving you guys all of the behind the scenes as well, which is why I'm so excited to be here today to tell you a little bit about the behind the scenes and the currents of what happens in the hiring space. So thank you, Dave, so much for having me. Awesome. So happy to have you here. And yeah, also so many cool topics to talk about in terms of how to position yourself if you've pivoted because you've done these different pivots and how to kind of transfer your skills and talk about them. But let's jump right into the beginning of the process. When, you know, after you apply and you get called in for that first interview, I'd love to hear from your perspective as a recruiter, you know, you you move someone forward in the process. Well, maybe let's talk a little bit about inbound versus outbound and then how that sort of leads to, like, what's your process to even getting people into the interviewing stage, you know, from whether they apply or you do outbound prospecting? Yeah, so first, let's talk about the differences between the organizations, right? Because since I've been in very small startups, very small organizations, all the way to really big orgs, I think it's fair to say also the differences between my role and the role of a sourcer. I think it's very interesting that you mentioned the process between inbound and outbound. So the inbound goes into essentially when a job candidate applies, right? Like you're essentially an active candidate, it's what we called it on our process. And a passive candidate is essentially when we are the ones who are reaching out and you essentially have not applied directly to the role. And that can happen in two occasions. That can happen with a sourcer that we partner with. And that usually is when an organization is big enough that has the resources to have two different roles where they have a person that exclusively only 
finds those candidates for us. And that usually is more on the technical space because we are looking for very niche positions, positions that are most likely we will get a lot of people apply to it, but they're not going to be qualified for us to talk to them. And so we need that extra resource and that extra effort to move people forward. But let's talk a little bit more of mid-sized to smaller companies where we would just have recruiters essentially talk to candidates, find them, and we use both places, uh, candidates that essentially apply, that they're active, but we also don't just rely on those candidates because some of the times the candidates that don't apply turn to be the best candidates, candidates that are passive, that are currently employed, and that most likely are not aware of those opportunities. So I, as a recruiter, for example, will post a job and we'll take a look at those candidates that apply, but we'll also put in the effort to go to LinkedIn or other places like alumni networks. I will also go to uh, places where these candidates will potentially post their, I don't know, their work. For example, if I'm working with software engineers, I'll go to GitHub, places where I know that they will be posting their work. And I will take a look at their work and reach out, say, hey, I have this opportunity. Will you be interested in chatting with me? The only thing about that is that it's like cold call, right? Sometimes you won't get that candidate to respond. And so it's like a 50-50 opportunity, which is why it's uh, good for you not to put all of your eggs in one basket, which is why we also divide our efforts into inbound and outbound. So that's the process a little bit. And then again, it varies depending on the type of the company that we're recruiting for and how big the organization is. Does that answer the question? That was awesome. Now I kind of like, we'll, we'll like sort of split and come back. So let's do, you know, I think... A, Let's focus on the outbound side, right? Because I think we can also talk about the inbound and when you apply and, and sort of what's happening on the other side. But, you know, I think, you know, a fair amount of people will get that message somewhere, whether it's an email, whether it's in a LinkedIn direct message or somehow through GitHub or, you know, what are you looking for as a response? Because you're still, even though you're getting in, like you as the candidate are being sort of recruited or courted. Right. Also, you kind of like you could sort of miss the shot, right? If someone's like rude or, you know, like you're already kind of like as soon as you choose to engage, you're somewhat agreeing to participate in an interview process. And like, what's the right way to approach that as a candidate? What's your advice to people with with those situations? Absolutely. The number one thing is to keep in mind that, yes, you've been evaluated, from the moment that you decide to initiate contact with a recruiter, sourcer, or whoever it is that reaching out to you from that organization. We also do recruit our hiring managers as well. When we're not having any type of luck reaching out to candidates, we engage our hiring managers to say, hey, can you post this on your on your network? Can you reach out to these candidates? And we give them a list of people that potentially could engage them because sometimes candidates who are a little bit more senior are more likely to respond to hiring managers directly than recruiters. Uh, but to answer your question directly, what we're looking for is politeness, the type of questions that these candidates are asking. And even if a candidate is not interested, just a response, because we want to engage you and we want to have that relationship with you, because you might not be interested in that opportunity today, but you might be interested six months from now or a year from now. I'll tell you directly what not to do, right? Like, what are the things to stay away from? I actually have really good examples of this because I've come across some candidates who are 
very direct, for lack of a better word, and who have called me stupid uh, <laughs> on direct messages, who have called me incompetent. Um, and those are things to stay away from. If you really are not interested and you really think that I've come off base or that maybe I didn't read your profile correctly or you didn't have a lot of information that I could come from, you can say, hey, thank you so much for reaching out. That's not the type of background that I have or I'm not interested in that role. Or just simply ignore the message, right? Like you do not need to be rude because recruiters, we do work in very small circles, although you might believe that we come from very big places, we talk to each other. So we will have your name pass along and say, hey, this is what happened. Can you believe it? And so to go into the space of what are the things that we're looking for is how are you treating people? Because essentially at the end of the day, you might be checking the boxes of the skill sets that we're looking for, but we're also trying to see would you be a jerk, right, to work with? Can you check the boxes of the cultural fit that we're looking for? And so if we are reaching out to you, it's because most likely you are demonstrating some of those minimum qualifications that we're looking for. So you have at least 75% of the things we're looking for from the get-go. So you should consider yourself lucky. And so we want to be engaging with you in a way that, okay, can you, are you, matching the soft skills now that we're looking for? How are you responding? How are you engaging yourself in a professional manner from now on? One thing I I think about in time permitting is I think it's always great to practice interviewing. And so even if you're not necessarily looking, it's, it's one of the best ways to like research. I mean, actually, I think it's for a number of reasons I encourage people to take these meetings. One, you never know. You know, it might be interesting. Two, it's interesting to do market research and ask, hey, like, what's the comp for this position? And you start to understand your value better in the market, which you can then use to negotiate for a raise. You can see, like, what skills are hot in the market. You can ask the recruiter questions. Now, again, time permitting. You know, people are busy. They got a lot going on. I also think people, when they're not looking, sort of feel a little uncomfortable, like if they're almost like cheating on their current employer. I think most people should, if they can, time permitting, of course, they should take those meetings. I and mean, what's your general advice to folks on on sort of responding to that that outbound message or inbound to them? Absolutely. What I like to tell people is to anticipate questions. So if somebody is reaching out to you and you are interested or might not, but just want to see what's out there and stay, you know, sharpened with your skills, my recommendation is to do it at least twice a year minimum, depending on your experience. They're going to be asking you for what's your availability? Where else can we take this conversation outside of LinkedIn? So anticipate those questions, right? Of course, thank you so much for reaching out to me. Here's my resume for you to take a look more in depth into my background. Here's my email. Here's my phone number. And I can be reached uh, or we can chat a little bit more for 20 or 30 minutes on this day during these times so that I have a little bit le less of like work on my side as a recruiter to have to go back and forth with you like, oh, what time do you want to talk or where can I reach out? Also talk about your time zone because you might be in different places in the United States or maybe elsewhere that you, if it's a global company, they might also be reaching out to you for another location. Make sure that you're anticipating those questions. Something else is that if you're really adamant that you really are not interested in that position, you might have some people in your network, right? Especially right now in this market, you could be a helper, a connector for that recruiter and somebody else in your network that can say, hey, I'm right now not interested or I do not have the time to interview, but I do have a person or two that might be in the ballpark or might be available. 
let me reach out to them or do you mind if I give them your information so that you both can have a conversation? I think that's so valuable and that's just how you continue to have those conversations and create a network around you. And it just takes like two seconds to be a good person, not just for that recruiter, but for someone else in your network and in your professional life. Yeah, it's such an awesome opportunity to help somebody if you can, like if you know someone who's truly qualified. So it sounds like you've done a fair bit of the outbound side of things. I want to sort of dig into that a little bit more. So how you said you'll like go to GitHub and for engineers in particular, but I would imagine like LinkedIn Recruiter is probably another one of the tools that's used to do this. How are you filtering, right? So if you maybe walk me through, you got an assignment from a hiring manager in a position, like, like you log into LinkedIn Recruiter, what are like the first fields you're going to, to start to filter down from the 100, 200 million people that are on LinkedIn? Absolutely. So my first questions to the hiring managers are, what are your must-haves? Like, what is something that this person needs to have coming in the door first day? So those are the first skills that I filter for. For example, I know that I'm talking a lot on the technical side because it's the very last job that I had, but I want to make it a little bit more general for people that might not be software engineers in particular. Let's say that you are in marketing, for example, and the hiring manager needs somebody who's really good with email marketing. Let's say that you're a marketing specialist and the hiring manager tells me I need somebody who's very good with email marketing. Well, I want to make sure that I am filtering through that. Somebody who's going to be good with a CRM or even a in Kajabi, for example, on the back end and filtering emails and things like that. That's going to be one of the keywords that I'm going to be putting into the back end of my LinkedIn recruiter. That's one. That can still give me hundreds of thousands of results. The next thing that I'm going to do is what's other keyword that could come up with email marketing? Could be B2B, B2B email marketing or B2C email marketing. Those are the things that I'm going to go down the pipeline. But the first thing is the communication with the hiring manager. So this is why it's so important for you as a job seeker, to be very understanding of what are the roles that you're really interested in, because all of those keywords will be in the job description, because the hiring manager would have already put those things on the job description. So you have to make sure that all of those keywords will be on your LinkedIn profile. And something else that you have to do is make sure that those keywords are within your LinkedIn profile, because most likely those keywords will pop up in my search. Something else that I wanted to say, I was discussing with a friend of mine, and we were testing this in the recruiter side of things, is that when you are connected with a second degree connection to a recruiter, you will most likely appear on the very few first searches of somebody when we're looking for uh, on the back end of the recruiter. So this is why it's so important to be friends with recruiters on LinkedIn specifically. And even if you're not directly friends with them, you can be second degree connections. And for those who don't understand what that is, is that let's say that I'm friends with Dave. I'm talking to him right now, right? We're first degree connections. And let's say that Leah, who's also part of the TL team, I don't know who she is, but she knows who Dave is. That right away makes me a second degree connection to Leah because she has a friend in common on LinkedIn, which is why it's so important for you to pay attention to those things on LinkedIn. And you will notice those things because each person has a number next to their name on LinkedIn. And that's when you can go the, down the rabbit hole, understanding how recruiters take a look at the back end of the system. So I'm also taking a look at that when I'm doing my searches. Who's first degree connections to people that already work in my company that could potentially have a very similar profile to the role I'm already trying to fill. 
I'm also taking a look at, let's say that they're looking for a senior software engineer in the company. And I already have somebody that works in the company. I take a look at similar profiles to this person because they're most likely going to have similar keywords that already match with one another. So once I do that search and I take a look at some profiles that uh, come on the first page, I do a quick uh, skim through those. And if they're good profiles, I save those by bookmarking them and take a look at what keywords they're using. I take a stab at it by reaching out to them, what type of companies they've worked at, and then also take a look at if they're competitors to our companies or if they're not, because it could come out that maybe they work at different companies that I couldn't even consider before that were not on my competitor search. And one last thing that I'll add, people don't know this, this it's a little secret behind the scenes, right? (laughs) I scroll down to this person's page. Let's say that I found a really good profile. I take a look at who's endorsed their skills. So going back to that marketing piece, let's say that you're a marketing specialist and somebody has endorsed you on knowing how to do email marketing. I do what's called, is the the sourcing piece. A sourcer actually showed me how to do this. You go down to that uh, part of the skills and you see who's endorsed you. It's most likely that that person also is um, a specialist on that marketing part. And if you have the same title, I've already found you. You didn't come up in my search, but you came up on that person's profile, which is so important because if you are somebody who might not have a lot of experience, so you're most likely not getting a lot of bites out of LinkedIn, it's important for you to take a look at your network. Instead of looking at them as competition, look at them as people who can give you more visibility within LinkedIn by endorsing people that you've worked with in the past that have similar skills as yours. Oh, that's a great, I mean, yeah, it's like, give to get in a very literal way. Like if you give endorsements, now you are essentially getting screen space on other people's profiles. And it's like, as people are researching, you know, they're gonna, yeah, that's a great tip. Do good for yourself and do good for someone else. I love that idea. There's some really good tips there. The skills, the keywords. Have you noticed a difference on if the keyword shows up in the headline versus the about me versus the work experience or the job title. Like I've tried to do some tests in LinkedIn Recruiter to see if it makes a difference and it's sort of on my list of to-dos, but have you noticed if it's in a particular area of the profile, if it carries more weight when you search for it? Yeah, it carries weight on the headline. So the first thing that appears is your name. So the things that get highlighted in a different color is the headline, the about section, only the things that directly correlate with the searches that the recruiter has inputted. The titles, believe it or not, when you put in the information under your titles, like the actual description of the job, none of that gets highlighted. It's interesting. None of it gets picked up. And then your skills. That's the only thing that gets picked up when a recruiter does a search on the back end. Now, anything else that I didn't mention, we have to specifically go see more. You see on LinkedIn, when you write something and there's like a little see more thing, we have to specifically click on those things to see more. But those are the main four things that get picked up by the searches on the back end on on LinkedIn Recruiter. Got it. All right. So those are ways to get found. So now let's talk about the interview. You know, you agree to take the call. What are you looking for in that initial conversation. The person wants the job. Let's say, you know, let's sort of contextualize it. I see the message. I'm like, you know what? I am kind of open to some ideas. And, you know, I'd like to maybe try to take a real shot at this and I'm going to take this meeting. They take the meeting with you now because just because you got 
engaged by a recruiter doesn't mean you're like automatically in, right? They're still going to, now you're essentially into the regular process. Like, sure, they reached out to you. It's a little different than applying yourself, but, you know, they still need to put the best candidates forward. So if you don't show up, then it's like, hey, great. Thanks for replying. It was nice to meet you, but we're not going forward. So you can kind of get rejected, even though you opted in. What someone need to do, and I guess this advice applies, well, I'm curious if it is slightly different, but like, how does someone show up best for that call? And and how do you approach it differently if it's someone you reached out to versus someone who applied for the position? Yeah, that's a great question. So when it comes to, okay, you are you have the foot in the door of you establish the connection and you're going in, there's really no differences between you applied online and you're an active applicant versus a inactive applicant. We treat them the same. So once I have you on the phone, I really don't care how I found you or how we established that relationship. Same with referrals. I know that a lot of people, and I wanted to mention that, I know a lot of people think that you, you're treated specially or you have some sort of golden ticket because you're a referral. That's Let's just smash that out there. That's not going to get you some sort of guarantees of getting a job or getting further in the process just because you were found or contacted in a different way. I think the first thing establishing that connection, right? Because essentially you've been able to demonstrate through your qualifications or resume that you can somehow do the job according to what's on that piece of paper. So now it's being able to conceptualize and explain in the way that you speak that you can actually solve the problem. And that's where a lot of people fail. They are not very good at telling their story when they speak. They can tell it when they write it on certain resumes, right? But they are unable to essentially give examples in a concrete way on how they can actually solve those issues. And the issue is the job, right? And the reason why people fail is because they don't prepare before the interview. It sometimes surprises me a lot when people still show up and it's so obvious when they don't prepare ahead of time. It doesn't matter how many years of experience you have, I can tell the people who prepare and the people that don't. Now, the way that you can prepare is by taking a look at what the company does. So sometimes people show up and they have no idea what the company does. And even for big places like the company that I work for, they don't know how we make money. <laughs> and that is sad because I would ask a question. I'm like, you know, what are some products that you think that we can improve? And they don't know the answer to that. And that's going to separate the people who have done their homework from those that don't. And you can be the most technical person, you can be the most qualified person to do the job, but it's going to separate you from those that have done their homework and that understand the reason why this job is open to begin with. The other thing is establishing that personal connection. Again, this is going to vary from recruiter to recruiter. And I love to use the word depends because it also, it's going to vary sometimes hiring managers like to have that connections. Other hiring managers just care about the fact that you can do the job or not. But some hiring managers care a lot about their cultural fit and how you're going to essentially add that culture into the team that's already existing. So it's going to be very important for you to read the room and establish that high emotional intelligence, right? When you're talking to someone. So it's going to be up to you to understand the personality of the person who's talking to you on the other side. And that's sometimes difficult when you're having a fun conversation because you can't read the body language unless you're actually seeing someone, right? That's number two. Number three is be able to ask smart questions. This is why it's so important for you to understand that it's not as easy as just getting 
a canned question from the internet or somebody that's recommending you, oh, these are the best questions that you can ask at the end of the interview. It's important to have some preparedness to come with you in case the conversation goes really dull and there's nothing that you can actually extract from that conversation. But the best questions that you can ask are going to come from the conversation you're having with that person. Something that comes directly from the job description that they're telling you. And they're going to give you hints depending on the questions they're asking you. Those are questions coming directly from the day-to-day and responsibilities are going to be expected from you as a job seeker. I can go down the rabbit hole <laughs> because these are one of the most passionate things that I have when it comes to that the process. But is there anything more specifically that you think that I should cover here? Just because it's, this is just like in the initial process of how to establish trust with the recruiter. Yeah, and I think it's really key because I think, I mean, you know, there's a lot of research out there that shows like, a lot of people blow it in the first five minutes of the interview. You know, this isn't like a number that you're measuring, but I would say like intuitively, you know, how early in the interview do you feel like you have a sense of this is going to, like, this is a yes or a no? Oh, the first 20 seconds. Really? Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of my intuition as well. Like people can win it back, but like, I'd say like within the first 20 seconds, you know, it's kind of after that, like, tell me about yourself. I just kind of have it like, I'm immediately, you know, on like, it's not 50-50 anymore, right? Like going in, it's 50-50. You have no idea. But like very quickly, you're like, okay, this person's probably a no. Oh, wait, they like won themselves back. Or like this person's probably a yes. Oh, shoot. They kind of lost me. But I think like, you know, if you think about it as this kind of like, you know, line on an odometer, we don't, this isn't a visual podcast. So, but you know, imagine you like have a line on a little gauge and it's like in the red and the green, it's kind of like, or the scale is like tipping throughout the interview. Right, your goal is for the interview to end with you like very much on the green, like, yes, this needs to happen. You know, and if it's in the middle, then, you know, they'll probably talk to other candidates and see like if you still kind of make, you know, they want to move you to the next round. Again, something like connecting with someone on a personal level is highly personal. <laughs> some people really don't want it. Some people do. My advice to people on that is usually like drop some kind of personal nugget. Like if you're fishing, I call it bait. And if the person takes the bait, then they clearly want to engage like, oh, and I'm from Miami. And if they don't ask anything about that, just kind of blow right past that, they don't want to learn more about you. Like they don't want to build a relationship. They're more focused on the competence. You know, if someone says like, oh, I went to Miami once or oh, I've been meaning to go to Miami or what's it like in Miami? Then I'm like, oh, okay. This person wants to establish a little bit of a more like relational rapport. So let me lean into that. And then it's also understanding like whether you want to do that because some people, you yourself may not want to, it's like, I don't know you. I don't want to build a relationship with you. Other people, it's like, hey, I want to build a relationship with whoever. You know, that's you and I are both have sort of Latin culture. So maybe, you know, we just, this is kind of like what we do. You know, we want to get to know people, but some people don't. Like of the candidates you've interviewed, who have you seen do that well? You know, whether you got the sense that they were more of like a relationship oriented person or not. You know, what is it like that if this happens in the first 20 seconds, like 10 out of 10 times, I'm going to say yes. So I do want to make it clear, even when you don't establish a personal relationship, that's not going to ding you, right? Like, it's not like I'm going to say, oh, this person didn't establish a personal, like, touch, like, ew, like, get out of here. Not at all. That's not going to play against you. I think it's important to, then the distinction between the recruiter and the hiring manager. I think the recruiter comes in as a personal relationship is because 
I am the one that's going to be advocating on your behalf. I, as a recruiter, want to have that personal relationship with you because I want to know what's important to you. Because I get it. Listen, like the salary piece is going to be a big part. But what else aside from that? What are your values? What do you want out of this job? And I want to be able to know those things because I want to be able to essentially speak to those things. So that's the reason why I want to establish a relationship with you. Nothing beyond that. Like it's there's no ulterior motive to that piece. I just want to make that clear. I just think everyone thinks that recruiters are these deceptive people who are trying to save the company money. I don't know a single recruiter that gets a bonus for getting less salary. Like the main thing and the main metric of success for a recruiter is time to fill. And if the people are good, like it's not like how many dollars companies aren't looking to shave like nickels. They want to get the talent as fast as possible so they can be in the door and being productive and helping the company grow. Right. And for you, I mean, you're a founder, CEO, like you know how expensive it is to get talent in the door. So you want to retain that person. So like when you nickel and dime them, like when they find out that you're essentially not paying them what they're worth, what are they going to do? They're going to leave. And now you spend all this money and time trying to bring them into the company. And six months later, oopsies, I have to do it again. So I just hope that people understand that piece. Thank you so much for bringing that up. No, it's usually the other way around, honestly. I see recruiters trying to get people more money so they can close the deal and move on to the next one. Exactly. I don't, you know, I have like 10 other open roles. I just want to close this out. And so it's like, if money's going to make it happen, sometimes I have to like rein recruiters in and be like, hey, 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 you know, take it easy, <laughs> you know? Because uh, I've never seen the opposite where they're looking to like shave people's money off. Exactly. But people don't seem to believe it. But to answer your question, I've seen the newer generation do that very well for some reason. Uh, this is why I loved working with recent grads. Um, that's how I started my career was working with recent grads and universities. And I loved that because they were so good establishing rapport. And it's interesting because like the younger they are, you would think that the opposite, like they wouldn't know how to establish that, but they were really good at picking up on things of like, oh, doing research. They're really good at that, like finding these things. I was like, how do you even know that? How do you find <laughs> out that information about me? But also those are the demographics that I found were really good at that. Something else that I noticed is people managers. People managers are really, really good at that. And that was the latest role that I was recruiting for. I was recruiting for both ICs and people managers, but both around the same type of experience. So of course, you know, as an IC, you can have 15 years of experience and you're just in the same ladder as uh, you don't want to manage people. You just have, you know, a lot of years of experience. And then you, of course, are a people manager who have 15 years of experience, but you decided to go the management route. Then people managers... We're really good at that. Like they will take at least five minutes of the conversation, like just talking about things that were really just a little bit less technical and more on the people management piece. Like this is what's important to me. These are the values that I'm chasing for. I work at this company, which is very equitable to the company that I'm looking for now, but it's lacking this piece. So this is what's important for me as I'm looking forward in my company and things like that. And so like that was that relationship base and that EQ. They have a really high EQ, which is, again, makes sense because that's why they're people managers, right? You need to have a really high EQ or emotional intelligence to essentially be be able to manage and lead people in the way that you were after so many years of experience. But uh, recent grads and Gen Zs are very good at that. And I really admire that from them. <laughs> people call me Zillennial because I'm my younger millennial, but I sometimes get crippled with anxiety and I don't want to make people uncomfortable. And so I sometimes have to gauge, like, should I tell them something personal? Should I not? I don't want to make them uncomfortable. So I think they're a little bit more forward and they're a little bit less scared 
on making people uncomfortable. I'm just going to shoot my shot and see what happens. So I think that that's probably why they're a little bit better at that. Yeah. And it's tricky because, you know, very little advice is helpful in an absolute form, right? So it's not about like, hey, zero relationship or all relationship. It's always some kind of gradient in the middle. And, you know, and I think with interviewing, like striking that balance is really key. Like you can't be too humble, but you can't be too confident and to the point where you're cocky or arrogant. But you do need that right amount of confidence because if I don't get a feeling for it, and I tell people like us as a species, I think we have like a sixth sense for confidence, but we also can like very quickly tell when it tips over to arrogance. But if you're not confident in your ability to do this job, how am I ever going to be confident to put my career on the line and recruit you in, right? Because whether I'm the CEO, the founder, whether I'm a recruiter, the person that hires you, their reputation is on the line, right? You have enough bad hires, like anyone can make a mistake or two, but if you have enough bad hires, that's going to cost you your job. Absolutely. And so I think people miss that. It's not, it's ultimately the person who's doing the hiring, they're thinking about like, how does hiring this person affect me? Like, are they going to help this company grow? Like, are we going to be more successful with this person on the team? Am I going to look good for hiring a superstar or for hiring someone? So you got to have that confidence. Like, I got to believe you believe. You know, a lot of people come in with humility or they use like self-deprecation as a bit of like a, a way to cope. You really need to strike that right balance of, of confidence. And so things that like we take as cues, like if someone's really rambly and can't be like concise with their message or they kind of are all over the place, even because they're nervous, you kind of can't risk giving them the benefit of the doubt. Absolutely. And, you know, I'll add something else, too, which is uh, it was a topic of debate with with us recruiters when we were having leadership meetings is, you know, re- interviews can be so subjective because it's just a small part of the process that's going to be part of your whole life cycle as an employee in this company, right? And it could go back to specifically with neuro neurodivergent candidates, right? Like if you're an introvert or you could be a little bit autistic or a little bit uncomfortable with newer relationships, you might not be showing up as your best self sometimes. And so we do are trying our best to train our recruiters and hiring managers to be a little bit more open-minded with those differences in personalities because we are evaluating individuals at a snap judgment in a little bit of a, a very short amount of time. And we're moving quickly because we do have to make those quick decisions. And I totally agree with everything that you're saying. And so we do have to do better as well at educating ourselves and be a little bit more aware that not everybody's going to be this amazing extrovert and able to really express their feelings and their personality the way that we are expecting them to, because this is a world of extroverts. And <laughs> unfortunately, and so it is hard. And, and which is why we have to also, which is why I love that one, you know, what Teal is doing and this amazing podcast to just give a behind the scenes of what is happening because job seekers are so confused and they're right to be confused because there's so much information out there. Even recruiters are giving conflicting information because the hiring process can be so different depending on the company, depending on the industry, depending on what type of role you're going for, which is why it's so important to eat the meat and throw away the bones. And what I mean by that is take what serves you and throw away what doesn't. Because even what I am saying here, this is what has worked for me in the industries that I have worked for. This is my experience. The experience of other recruiters might be different. And so this is why I'm so careful at not using absolutes because 
absolutes don't work when it comes to the job search. And I am so happy that you brought that up because, yes, this is why I think that I've been so so successful as a recruiter is because I am very methodical when it comes to making my decisions in who I decide to bring forward to my hiring managers because I do want to build that trust with my hiring managers. And if I am going to go to bat for someone, I want them to see me as a top leader and say like, hey, Adriana, like you fought for this candidate, but they're not like presenting themselves in the way that they should, or they came here in three months and they're a total disaster. Like, I don't want my name attached to that. So absolutely, please just understand that we're trying to do the best that we can with our jobs and our job reputation is on the line as well, which is why sometimes we try to be a little bit picky because at the end of the day, it's our names that we're essentially writing or signing on a rock. A hundred percent. And you know, to your point there, it's a complicated topic, right? Because you're, you know, you submit a resume that gets you picked. You have complete control of what's on the resume. So I will, that's an area where I'll be fairly unapologetic because you had all the time in the world to work on that document, get it ready. You can look at the JD. At the end of the day, there's, you know, sure, obviously there's subjectivity, but like the JD says what you need. The interview is much, much harder. You know, the interview is so hard because you just don't know what that person's looking for, what cues, you know, someone may want to thank you, know, someone may not, you know, it's like, and we can read all the advice we want, but ultimately it's based on the person on the other side, you know, and so like it could be directionally things you could do. You know, so we're trying to do things to combat that. For anyone who's on the hiring side listening to this, like one of the things we're doing at Teal is we send the majority of the interview questions in advance. Oh, I love that. That a person needing, like, to on the fly, you know, come up with the answers. And and that is an understanding that some people, if we're just going to sort of bucket people into two broad, you know, ranges, there are folks who primarily talk to think. I'm one of those people. And that has its downside. And then there's people that think to talk. And I think interviews can bias people who talk to think right? Because you can just kind of get ideas out. The problem is, since you talk to think the ideas are very raw, it's kind of like an x-ray view into your brain coming out your mouth. So until you get better at that, you might say things as like, oh, shoot, that's not even what I meant to say. But I just like, my first in- instinct is to talk. And then there's the other people who need time to like really think of the best answer. But the interview is a scenario where you feel like I just have to come up, I have to say the first thing that came to mind. And that's not really what I wanted to say. That wasn't the best example of a time. So what we've been doing is we send people the interview questions in advance. And as much as, you know, I've posted this on LinkedIn a few times and people are like, that's crazy. You know, don't you need to see them think on their feet? And I tell them, like, unless you're an EMT, like, if this is a marketing manager, what is it about thinking on their feet? Like, emails get sent out, you know, we plan them in advance blog post, like everything we're doing has, I don't know, at least an hour you know, to think about it. Sure, we're going to be like moments of crisis, but I want to see people in a situation that's more realistic to what it's like to work with them, where they had time to plan, you know, and so I don't want a bunch of people who are really good at sort of faking it on the spot or, you know, like the right, faking it sounds judgmental, but just like really, really good at coming up with solutions on the spot when that's not indicative of, of how we work. So, so that's something we've done. I highly, highly recommend it because what I will tell you, it's outrageously obvious when someone doesn't prepare and that happens. People like, I'll be like, Hey, so you got the questions, right? They're like, really? I'm like, uh, yeah, they were in your inbox. No way. Oh yeah, for sure. Happens all the time. This is the thing. Like I, so now 
you know, I have this new role at my company as an employee relations specialist. And one of the things is like empathy, right? Like, and I'm an overly empathetic person, which is, you probably see it in my content. I'm always like going on the side of the job seeker and always like thinking like, thinking of all of the options, like putting myself in the shoes of others. But this is something that I cannot get on board with. Like, are you serious? So I had one happen the other day where I sent them all the material. And what I try to do, again, I just feel like given what we do at Teal, like the bar is incredibly high. Um, at least that's the bar I want to try to hold us to. There's a lot of parts I'm trying to work on to do better. In particular, I'm bad at sending rejections because it makes me feel bad, which results in kind of essentially like ghosting, but I don't mean it to be. That's more about me, not them. So I'm working on that, and I sort of have a commitment to never do that again. But we had someone who didn't prepare, and I just said, I said, hey, it doesn't seem like you're very prepared for this. And she said, look, I've had a sick kid for the last two days. I Honestly, I just, you know, and I couldn't miss it. I was like, look, it's all good. Take your time. It's good. Do you know, we're not going to reschedule an interview, but all that you have all the material, do it as a loom and send it to me. You know, ultimately the person wrote us back and be like, hey, you know, I ended up landing a job somewhere else, which is awesome. Great for them. They probably had that going on, right? Because you might be like talking to three different companies and you're like, well, if this lands, I'm not going to go, you know, prepare two hours for this technical interview. I totally get it on that side, but sometimes things do come up. And so, Instead of just like rusting to judgment, it's like, well, this person's a flake. It's like, no, I just ask, is everything okay? They said no. And so, you know, we sort of, yeah, everyone's human in the process. Now, that said, not everyone gets the automatic benefit of the doubt. You know, if it's like a 30-minute screener, you got it. You could at least looked at it five minutes before. So there's kind of, you know, within reason on certain spots. If it's like the long two-hour technical, look, that's a lot of preparation. A 30-minute intro, like if you couldn't even like bother to read the email, I'm going to have a little bit less tolerance for that. Right. But then also, you know, shameless plug there, like Teal does have the opportunity for you to have a tracker of who you're talking to, the companies that you're interviewing with. And it's just with all the technology that we have today. And listen, I have two girls, two small babies at home, four years old and two years old. So I get it. I get it. But I'm assuming that these interviews are in advance. We could have just sent a quick email. Hey, can we reschedule? Something is going on personally. I'm unable to prepare ahead of time. And I'm sure that knowing the team, I've worked with Leah for a little bit now, I know that that would have been an option as well. Again, empathy all the way, but there's just options of communication, right? Having that open communication, that trust building, that's always what I'm going to go to as a recruiter. And the reason why having that personal connection is important because I cannot advocate for you if you're not telling me what's going on. Like if you don't have that trust to open up and tell me something, and you don't have to tell me details. I don't need to know that something's going on at home. But just say, hey, something has come up. I'm unable to do it this day. Can we reschedule? And then we can take it from there. Yeah, and then communication is key because it also it's a way of what it's like to work with you. So 100%, because that's kind of what we're, we're looking for. Like, what are you like to work with? Once it gets to more technical interviews, which we won't get into now, I think that first interview is so critical and so many people get screened out. Like, once you got picked, I wouldn't say it's 100% in your control, but if you got picked based on your resume, you have more control than you realize. You can prepare. You can research the interviewer. You can reread the JD. You can practice your tell me about yourself. Like, that's another one where I see people get totally wrong. Like, advice I give on tell me about yourself is it's there's a reason resumes are reverse chronological. And reverse being the latest is the most recent, right? Because the most recent stuff I did is probably the most relevant, but when it comes to tell me about yourself, everyone does it in 
regular chronological order. It's like, well, you know, I grew up here and I went to high school here and then I went to college here and then my first job was here. And I'm like sitting there four minutes later. I'm like, can we get to like what you're doing now? Because you kind of lost me. So like I recommend like most recently I was this. This was the impact I had. Then maybe that like one personal nugget to see if they bite. If not, it's like awesome. And then the other thing is I feel like people take that question very literally. It's not actually tell me your life story. It's actually, tell me why you're the best person for this job, right? With a little bit about you. And I think people generally, that's a very broad statement, but it's like in this kind of naive, nervous way, answer it. But it's really your moment to make your pitch. So like what if, at least for me, like I just, you said the first 20 seconds, right? I can tell very quickly, is this person engaged? Are they connected? What's their energy like? Just like all sorts of things that you're kind of processing in that moment. But like, what are you looking for in those first 20 seconds? So I'm looking for very similar things as you. And honestly, before I go into that, I wanted to add to the tell me about yourself. You said 44 minutes later, please, for the love of God, cop it at 90 seconds maximum. The interview should not go that long just on the tell me about yourself. But to answer your question, I am looking for engagement, of course, excitement. And again, I do want to, the excitement piece, I do want to add a caveat because again, I do want to give some empathy for my folks who are neurodivergent and do not have the same cues to demonstrate excitement. But the excitement goes to, you know, asking engaging questions, right? Just being curious. Curious. Wanting to learn. It doesn't mean you have to be like... Smiling, yeah. Throwing a party and put a sign on the back of your Zoom, which I know someone who's done that, which is awesome. <laughs> but like to, to be frank, it's like, show you give a shit, <laughs> you know? Exactly. And curiosity comes from, you know, if you've answered a question, is there anything else specifically that you want me to answer? Or have I answered all of your questions? Or was that sufficient for you? Or what do you want me to go in depth more into that? I know that I was, you know, quick with my answer, but I just want to make sure that I was, you know, able to answer that in a timely manner. And that just shows that you're engaged with the conversation and that you're curious about able to essentially give what the person is asking for. I love that about people just because, again, goes back to, and even if it's just like an assembly line that you're going through with the jobs, because people are rage applying right now, and that's totally okay. You know, the market is rough. You do you. But just, again, something else that I'll say, I don't want you to pick up the phone when it's an interview that was scheduled Hello, who is this? <laughs> yeah. One of my biggest pet peeves. Or even say, like, can you remind me what this was job is this? Like, I've applied to so many jobs. Like, be prepared. Have a spreadsheet. Again, Teal has this amazing spreadsheet that takes all the guessing out of it. Or if you don't want to use Teal, even though it's free, you can. But you can also use a Google Sheet that can essentially keep you organized so that you don't have to do that. 100%. That is a mega downer. Yes. It's like, wait, what was job was this for again? It's like, oh, like... Yeah, I mean, like the chances of recovering from that are very, very low. Exactly. Something else that I love, if you are having a conversation uh, where people can see you, make sure that you are not in a dark room, that you're not laying down in bed, that you're eating Cheetos, that, <laughs> that you're not distracted doing. I've had those. I have a feeling you've seen all that. <laughs> oh, I've had those. Make sure that you're not taking a Zoom call while you're driving because I've had that and it literally gives me anxiety. Like... I don't want you to get into a car accident while we're having a conversation. Please make sure that you're in a safe space, that I can hear you, that you're not having any reception issues. I mean, again, all of these things go to preparation. You have had time to plan this. You have told me your availability. So I am assuming that this is a time that works for the two of us. And if it doesn't, things have changed, just let me know. Again, the, the list can just go on and on, but those are the things that within the first 20 seconds, I can decide if this is something that 
we're going to essentially be on the same page to continue on. Aside from, of course, the obvious of you qualifying for the job. Yeah, there's like interesting, like little attention to detail things that unfortunately we just like take cues on. I did a Zoom the other day and the half the person's face was cut off the camera. <laughs> and, you know, just like my mind goes, it's like, okay, this person's job is going to be one that like their attention to detail is really important. And again, someone can be nervous. There's a lot of just sort of like translation in that. And it's not entirely fair, but that's just kind of like the cues we're looking for. And that's just like kind of awkward to be like, hey, can you like tilt your camera, you know? But it's just like kind of like what's, and it's less about the aesthetic, right? Or, you know, the, like the awareness, but it's just like the aggregate of all these little things. Like if someone is taking their Zoom and the windows behind them and like they just look like a silhouette, but you don't see them. It's like, well, the whole reason we're doing a video interview is you're kind of missing the point of the medium. And what I've seen is like it's, those things tend to like cascade. If they miss one, then they miss the other, then they miss. And it's not about like a lack of awareness. I don't know. Like I really struggle with it because it's like, is it judgment? Does the person, did the person ever get like taught to look for that? But I did. So is it, that's like one thing I think a lot about is like, do they just truly not know? So it's not fair to kind of like ding someone because I'm like, well, that's just common knowledge. It's like, well, maybe it's not so common. So it's a tricky thing, but I do think it's the aggregate of these little things. And if you can control them, you know, try to just put your best foot forward. Absolutely. Yeah, I love to say that it's common sense, but it's not common practice. <laughs> yeah. Which is why, you know, again, going back to, I think that this generation is so lucky because they have so much access to information, yet some still lack the awareness of searching because like, Google is free, YouTube is free. And I do know that there's plenty of information out there of taking control and proactive action into your career and this piece of the interview process that is under your control. Again, as you mentioned in the beginning, there's so many aspects of this process that are completely out of our control as job seekers. But there's so many other things that we can control that we can essentially tell the odds in our favor, right? By just making sure that we're paying attention to these little things that can make us stand out from the crowd. And I know that that's like a cliche thing to say, but it's true. I mean, these little things can, if this role requires you to be somebody that pays attention to details, these are the little things that you should try to make, make an effort into showing the person next to you. Because if you do them, they're not going to be as super noticeable, but if you lack them, they're going to stand out like a sore thumb for sure. Right. And that's one thing I've I've sort of picked up on from, you know, engaging with a lot of job seekers and seeing the frustrations on things on LinkedIn is this sense of like obligation. It's like, oh, now I have to research a company before an interview. It's like you don't have to do anything. You really don't have to do anything. You know, that may mean you're just going to keep going through the process and you'll get lucky one day for the person who wasn't looking for that stuff. But you don't have to do anything. This isn't about like someone's got a checklist. It's like, hey, they have this, they have that, they have that. It's like, but if you... I encourage people to like flip the script. If you were like going to go and buy something, right? Like, do you buy the thing that put in zero effort? If you were hiring a, a doctor, right? And you go to the doctor's website, it's got no text. It's, you know, got like one link in the middle. It says medicine here. Like, is that going to feel credible, right? Is that going to like, you know, they've got a website and it's like, you know, dot info slash whatever. You're like, well, that's not a dot com. That's weird. I'm not used to that, right? So we have these things that we look for. 
And I think when we go out into the market and we purchase and we're going to buy a course or we're going to look at a school, we do kind of put it through the ringer. We're going to buy food. We look at the label. But and then when it goes the other way around and someone's a company is going to make a huge investment and hire somebody, there's kind of an expectation of like, well, you shouldn't make me do that. It's not that they're making you do that. What I think people lack to understand is someone else is doing that. And so now you are part of a market. And if someone else is doing it, you could choose not to do it. But that's your competition now. Your competition in that market is a candidate who is doing it. And look, most people don't. So it doesn't take that much to stand out from the crowd. And I think that's kind of the message that gets lost and people feeling, and I get it, the process feels super lopsided, but there are these things you can do to take a little more control and have a little more agency in what feels like a very one-sided process. Absolutely. I mean, those people that try, it's like, I love to say this a lot in my content. If, if it feels easy, it feels easy for the rest, like the 99% of other job seekers. So try to do what only 1% is doing and you'll see the difference. You'll start to see more phone calls. You're trying, you will see more inbox emails coming through. That's the thing. I feel like the process, again, as you're saying, the process should change. But until then, stop blaming the, the player and just learn how to play the game and go with what everyone else is doing, the 1%. Learn from them instead of saying like, oh, they just got lucky or they're just a quota or easy for you because, you know, I mean, I've been told that the reason why I work at the company I work for is because I'm a quota and, you know, affirmative action and blah, blah, blah. And not because I learned how to play the game and do the things the right way and build those connections and essentially write the resume that they were looking for because they have a whole website explaining to you how they want their resumes to be written how they want, they literally have tips on how they want you to interview. I studied that for two years. I mean, I let imposter syndrome get the best of me in way two years, but I studied that like I was getting an exam on it. And that's the thing, like if you're not willing to go the extra step, they're not going to notice you. And that's just, again, not trying to be absolute because everything depends, right? But I think that's what's lacking right now with, with you know, the majority. Yeah, it's tricky and you see it. And um, it's tough, but, you know, hopefully we can do what we can via content and tools. And, yeah, I always tell people, if someone, we're trying to make all this information as accessible as possible, the only thing I can't give you is the effort. You got to be willing to put in the effort. I can't, you know, so there's the old, like, lead a horse to water. But at the end of the day, like, I can't do it for you. But if you're willing, I will make sure you can do it for free, honestly. I don't think, like, money should be a barrier for people to want to do these things. Absolutely. Well, Eliana, that was awesome. We're at our hour. I feel like we could keep going with so much content, so we may have to do a part two. But how can folks follow along with all the awesome content that you're putting out there to help people? Thank you, Dave. Um, absolutely. People can find me on LinkedIn, Eliana Rosen, and all of the other social media platforms like Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube on their careers in review. Awesome. We will also link to it in the show notes. Thanks so much. This was awesome. There was a lot of like good behind the scene nuggets here. So I think this was super valuable. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed listening to that episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. We are here to help job seekers. The point of this show is to give you the behind the scenes look at the hiring practices of companies and to debunk a lot of the myths and fear mongering that's out there. So if you like the show, please subscribe 
Would love for you to write me on LinkedIn or comment on one of my posts if you'd like to be a guest. We're really looking for practitioners that are in the hiring role, whether it be a hiring manager or a recruiter. We want to give people that inside view to what it looks like you know, to be hired and to understand the inside view of how companies operate. So please let me know. Uh, and if you're job searching, check out Teal, tealhq.com. We are here to help you land a job you love. All right, thanks. And we'll catch you on the next one. Thank you.